Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Bree Sedano. Uh, her website is called cashconfident.com. She helps women improve uh, their use of their personal finances. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Bree. Oh, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Just give us a kind of brief history of how you got to where you are today and the founding of Cash Confident. Sure. So I started my career in finance as an investment advisor, and I was in stocks and bonds and mutual funds. And what I found while I was doing that is I had clients that were coming to see me that were super smart, successful, making a ton of money, and were really struggling in their personal finances. People were saying things to me like, you know, I still have credit card debt for my first marriage, or these kids are about to go to college and I'm still paying on my own student debt. So, you know, people were coming to see me for problems that better investment choices really were not going to solve. And so I started working with my clients around budgets and giving them these like, really beautiful plans. And that was ineffective, highly ineffective. Uh, and so then we started working on habits and that worked better. And then we started working on mindset with the habits and the plans and that worked really, really well. You know, we started bringing in emotional intelligence along with the mindset and the habits and the plans and everything started to really click. Um, and so sometime after that, I started my own business just doing uh, personal finance work, money mindset, you know, things like that. Very good. So let's, you particularly concentrate on women. What is it that's different about women's view of their personal finances and their issues compared to men? The main difference is there's some social conditioning that's that's different. So women didn't have like full financial sovereignty until 1974. So there's a just a, a there's just more work to do for women to be good with money, not because there's anything inherently wrong with them or not because there's anything less capable. It's just the expectations and the social conditioning around women that women have are, is different um, than what men get around money. So part of this conditioning is what you call scarcity mindset. So how does scarcity, uh, the feeling that things are going to be scarce, impact people's financial decisions? Uh, so scarcity is, it's a, you know, it can, it's a mindset, it's a set of circumstances, it's a set of decision making, and then it really gets into creating more scarcity. So scarcity is a thing, and it equally affects uh, men and women. It's not, that's not a, like a women's issue per se. Um, but what scarcity does is when people are making financial decisions, if they're coming from a place of scarcity, there's a lot of physiological impacts uh, like they're, you know, your brain tightens up. So it like brings in your focus. Um, and so people are generally not making fantastic financial decisions when they're in a state of scarcity. So if people are in a state of scarcity, how do you get them into a state of abundance or, you know, the opposite of scarcity? Uh, perfect. So it just depends on where the scarcity is. So scarcity is a mindset. It does, that can be addressed with some changing of thought patterns. But if you're in a like a panicked state of scarcity, what I would generally suggest is raising your heart rate up, you know, like 90 seconds. And what that does is it helps to close the fight or flight response because the way that scarcity is received by your body as a, as like the chemical response is starvation. So when you're really feeling like a panicking feeling about financial scarcity, your body's receiving that as a threat of starvation. 
And so it triggers a fight or flight response. So that way your body has the narrowed focus and enough energy to like go hunt, <laughs> like go hunt for some dinner. And so getting your heart rate up is something that you can do immediately while there are some things that you can do like around gratitude practices and really focusing around the abundance that you already have is more of a mindset shift. Um, but they have two different purposes. So you're saying it's, it's something that can be done even though your circumstances haven't changed yet, your mindset can change from scarcity to abundance and that in itself will help you uh, solve the situation. Yeah, and the reason is is because when you get into scarcity, your the, your prefrontal cortex parts of it just it narrows, it shuts down, it's not getting the glucose. So people's decision-making gets really, really weird in scarcity. And so typically when you're in a moment of intense scarcity, the decisions that you're going to make are going to create more scarcity for you, you know, tomorrow or next month. And does it work the opposite? If you're in abundance, your decisions tend to bring you more abundance? Yes. So how does that work? I mean, kind of tell me the difference between decision-making when you're in scarcity mode versus decision-making when you're in abundance mode. Sure. So... Let's just say, for example, uh, let's just say I had a great month in business and I think, you know, and I have have some extra money or what seems to me like to be a lot of money. If I'm in scarcity, I'm going to probably be in a state where I'm going to be thinking to myself, wow, I should go. I should go stock up on things while I have this money. I should get rid of this money and trade it in for things. So that way, later on, when I don't have money, I'll at least, you know, have cans and cans of tomatoes or whatever it is that I was thinking about buying. So that that situation is I took a situation where I had some financial abundance and then I, I through my scarcity, got rid of the money in anticipation for not having the money. But then since I spent all the money, I won't have the money and I will just need the tomatoes that I bought at Costco. Does this track you with me so far? Yes, that makes sense. So if we can hold on to that state of abundance and just say I have the money and then I use it for whatever I actually really want and require as it comes up, the money itself doesn't freak me out and cause me to, to get rid of it. And that's how I can start to have momentum in my business. I can start to have savings. I can start to make decisions that are a little bit, maybe I could take a little bit bigger risk in my business and create more or, or, not be panicking next week if I don't have sales, you know, so I can hang on to that abundance a little bit more because I would have dealt with that money differently and, you know, potentially saved a cash cushion or invested in something that was going to, you know, be, make me better off in the long run. So is this coming from scarcity or coming from abundance based on how you were brought up or your circumstances? What kind of determines which mindset you're in? Uh I think it just a, like what mindset you're in. I mean, it's it's not a permanent state. You could be a generally abundant person and be having a day of scarcity or be generally a person who's got a lot of scarcity and be in an abundant state. Some of it does have to do with upbringing. Like, you know, if you dealt with a lot of scarcity growing up, like if you, had, if, you know, if you grew up in poverty or lower middle class, you know, money may actually bring up some stress responses in your body for you. You may not have known abundance, so you might just be used to scarcity. Um, so there's some things like that. Yeah. So you also have what you call the disappearing money syndrome, which I guess is related to 
feeling of scarcity. What is the disappearing money syndrome and how do you get out of it? Mm. So uh, disappearing money syndrome is the phenomenon that happens when you look at your bank statements or your credit card statements and you think for a second that somebody stole your identity and you've been robbed. Uh, only to then look closer at the statements and think to yourself, oh, I was there. I went there. I did that. I bought that. I ate that. Oh, the kids didn't eat that. And, and you realize that you have done this to yourself. And so a lot of times disappearing money syndrome is a situation where people are maybe just kind of unintentionally spending their money or spending their money to, to close time or energy leaks um, or are really just getting rid of their money from a state of scarcity. But it's, it's just the situation where you think that you should have more money and you, it's all gone already. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you also talk about energy leak spending, but time and energy leak spending. What do you mean by that? Sure. So a lot of people are spending their money to solve problems that are actually time or energy problems. So let's just say, for example, if uh, it's Wednesday night, I have a couple of kids and they have soccer practice. I get home, you know, it's the evening. I have to cook dinner and I'm like, all right, well, I have 20 minutes to wash these kids, feed them, get them to bed on time. I might say to myself, all right, well, I don't have time to cook and wash them. So I'll just order a pizza. I'll get them in the tub while, you know, while we're waiting for the delivery, we'll eat the pizza and then everybody can go to bed. So I'm not buying a pizza because I actually wanted a pizza. I'm buying a pizza to close a gap that's that's there with time. And the same thing happens with energy where it's like, oh, I don't have the desire, the, the mental or physical resources right now to take care of whatever the problem is. And so a lot of times people will spend their money to solve a time problem or say, you know, spend their money to solve an energy problem. And that can be fine. It's not necessarily that there's anything wrong with that. You can certainly use your money that way wisely. Uh, but for a lot of people, what ends up happening is they never really address the time problem at its root. And so that next week, the same soccer practice happens. And then I have to spend another, you know, I buy another pizza. And that problem just kind of continues because I use the money basically to buy a Band-Aid for a time shortage today instead of addressing the time shortage. So that's what I'm talking about when people spend money to plug a time link or an energy leak. So how do you get at the core issue of you do better scheduling of your time or how do you get in a situation where you don't have that time leak? So when I'm working with clients, some of the things that we'll do is we'll start to go through their transactions and look at places where they're there's a lot of time and energy going toward household, we'll call it procurement. Like, so I'll give you an example. So if I have a client who, you know, was going to four different grocery stores on Saturday. She was, you know, going to like a, a Costco or a big box store and going to the grocery store and going to the farmer's market and then picking up some other stuff at a fancy specialty store. And so her, the bulk of her, you know, waking hours on Saturday are just going into to doing this thing. And that ends up costing way more money. It costs more time. It costs more energy. And then she's got no time to food prep. And so then she's behind the ball for the week because she spent all of this time, you know, just doing this one thing. And for many women, most of their extra time goes to household procurement. 
you know, grocery shopping, running to Target, you know, doing all these little small trips back and forth. And it becomes very difficult to see if you're, you know, bleeding money in these really small increments because none of the transactions look like they're the problem. So one of the things that I like to do with clients is start to just look for any place that there's first, we're going to look for any place that there's like waste, any like subscriptions or anything that we're paying for that we're not using. But then we're going to really go into how do we increase efficiency around the household, you know, all of it, all of the household shopping. So that way we could be spending less time, less money, less energy in the stores. And then we have more time to be living life. So it's planning better to use your time in a more efficient way is what you help clients do. Yeah. Very good. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Bree Sodano. Her website is called Cash Confident, and you can find out more at cashconfident.com. We'll be back after this. Nobody likes the guy who says, I told you so. The guy in 1991 who said to you, invest in the internet, it's going to be huge. Or the guy in 1997 who said, come on, this is going to be big. They call it social media. And the guy in 2009 who said, I'm telling you, man, crypto is real. Now, I'm not going to be that guy who says, I told you so. But I am telling you that there is a 21-year-old international company where you can become a global project partner, earning a passive income doing exactly what you're doing at this moment. No selling, no recruiting clients, no administering a business after hours. Visit www.mypassiveincome.life now. That's mypassiveincome.life. Don't let history repeat itself on this one. Earn a passive income. Now listen again. That's mypassiveincome.life. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Bree Sodano. She is known as the Cash Confident Lady, or her website is cashconfident.com. Welcome back to the show, Bree. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I love it here. Tell people a little bit about what they can find at cashconfident.com. Ah, perfect. So I offer courses, coaching, and a community all for women who are working on improving their financial situation and becoming more wealthy. And how do you do consultations by Skype or long distance or only in person? How do you do consultations? I work mainly on Zoom. Just tell us about the process. How do you, I mean, who would be an appropriate person? How do you onboard them? 
how long does it take? Just give me a sense of how the consultation goes. Oh. All right. So most of the time people find me online and generally will start their work with me uh, by purchasing one of my courses. And then sometimes people want some additional or one-on-one help. And so I do have a community called the Cash Confident Community. And that's a place where everything's very affordable. The courses are included and then there's the membership and there's coaching and accountability calls in there to, to just help really support the transition. And then for some people who want to work with me one-on-one, uh, I have private coaching and that's uh, something that somebody could apply for. I'm like, you know, it's, it's, there's like an application and then we would chit chat, see if it's a good fit and then work together on zoom. And I also have a mastermind for business owners. Typically how long do you work with a client before they feel they're good on their own? Well, it depends on what problems we're solving, but generally, uh, you know, for household cash flow management, it's going to be a period of months. A couple months will usually do the trick. Uh huh. Okay. Now you talk about emotional spending. What What's different about emotional spending and just regular spending? So I'm well. What I'll talk about here is problematic emotional spending. You can spend your money for emotional purposes. That, that is that it's not a problem. Where emotional spending becomes a problem is when the thing that you're buying doesn't actually solve for the issue that's at hand. So I was talking with a woman the other day, and every time her husband goes out of town, she finds herself shopping, you know, from her bed all alone at nighttime, and she just buys all of this this crap on Instagram that she doesn't actually want, she doesn't actually need, and it's not actually going to bring her any lasting joy. And so what's actually happening in that situation is maybe she's a little extra exhausted from the day because she was doing all of the mothering on her own. Maybe she's a little lonesome because, you know, her husband's away. So she's got no, no snuggle buddies. And, you know, so she's, she's spending the money on this. But the thing is, is buying stuff on Instagram doesn't actually make you less lonely. It doesn't actually make you less exhausted. And so when we're spending money habitually, you know, on these little band-aid responses where it's like, oh, I feel a little bad about this. So let me, I'm going to go get a little cheap dopamine hit. You know, you know, the ads are really targeted too. I mean, these, the Instagram ads, the Facebook ads, like they know what you were Googling. They, you know, so there's so much uh, information that they have to be able to offer you like the right thing at the right moment. And, but none of that actually solves the underlying emotional issue. And so we keep spending you know, and that ends up being problematic in our relationship with money as time goes on. So, I mean, when you buy things, is it usually a disappointment? I mean, you, you think you're going to get this as you put a dopamine hit from it and it either doesn't happen, it doesn't last very long, and then you feel regret about it later? Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty common that's a pretty common thing when the stuff actually shows up at the door and you're like, why do I, why do I? why did I get an Instapot in the mail, you know? And you're like, oh, is that one time I got really stressed out at work? Uh-huh. So what is the solution to emotional spending? How do you counteract that urge? So it takes a little bit of work to look a little bit, like a layer deeper into yourself, and then you can see whether or not, uh, whether, not the the thing that you're buying whether or not the money that you're spending is is actually going to address that need that's really how you would do it because oftentimes there's there's a solution that may even cost money but will be a better fit um 
so those are, that's really how you do it. You would say, all right, well, hey, I, I have this thing in my cart. What am I actually feeling right now in this moment? Oh, I'm actually feeling a little lonesome. I'm a little tired. All right. You know, does new unicorn printed stretchy pants actually fulfill loneliness? And if you're like, no, it doesn't, then, you know, then that's a good indication that we may want to reconsider the choices and look for something that's actually going to fill that need. It sounds like you're trying to overcome emotional spending with rationality. And I'm not sure that always works. Is that you're kind of rationally that doesn't do it for you, but people do it anyway because it feels good emotionally. So most of the time when people are doing emotional spending, it's from a very unconscious state. So another thing that you want to look for if you're emotionally spending is looking there. Sometimes there will be there'll be triggers. So sometimes it may be time of day. Right. So I had one client who was spending a lot of money in the morning. She would as she was drinking her coffee, getting her day started, she would just kind of be scrolling her phone and, and you know, buying little trinkets. And so for her, she recognized that it was the time of day. And so while she was kind of in her unconscious state and she was, you know, just getting herself started, that was, you know, so there was a there was a time trigger. You know, for other times, I've had clients who will avoid tasks at work you know, by doing a little shopping here and there. And so while you're totally right that you're not going to just be able to, you know, overcome your emotions with logic, bringing that awareness of what's going on into the conscious mind does a really, really good job of helping to get that started. But then also being willing to actually meet yourself where you're at and actually fill those emotional needs uh, generally does solve the problem. Even though it might, it's not always perfect, Jordan, and it's not a perfect process. And, you know, if you're doing this, you're probably going to slip up, and that's okay. It doesn't mean anything's wrong with you. It's not only about spending, but it's also about going into debt. What are the emotional triggers that make people go into debt, particularly with very high interest rates today, and buy things when they know they don't have the money to pay the bill? So oftentimes, uh, that's actually scarcity. Most of the time when people are borrowing money that they, that, you know, is going to be problematic to have to pay back, they're, most of the time they're not buying stuff like vacations or, or luxuries. They're really buying something that they didn't have the money saved for. And so then they get into a panic and they borrow the money and, um, and, and it, sometimes there's not even another way around it. It's not always... You know, there's not always a perfect answer in our financial lives. Okay, but I mean, are you telling people just resist the temptation to go into debt? I mean, it can be a very powerful emotion to you really want something and you don't have the money, so you're going to put in your credit card knowing you don't have the money when it comes in. I mean, how do you counteract that that strong emotion that gets you into debt? Um. So you're talking about somebody who's really want who's really wanting to buy something, and then is buying it on their credit cards, and they yeah and they know that they don't it. have the money. They don't they know in advance they don't have the money to pay it. Uh, they'll pay maybe the minimum or, or something like that. But they're so emotionally attached to buying whatever that thing is that they're willing to go into debt to do it and pay twenty percent plus for it. Hmm. Yeah. So that would really be the same kinds of questions that we were really just talking about where it's it's just looking at like well 
well, why do I need this? <laughs> like, what's going on? Why do I think this thing is, is the thing? Um, that's going to be where to spend a little bit of attention and figure out, all right, does this, does this item or does this thing that I'm buying actually really fill this emotional need? And sometimes we have to look at our life and say, all right, well, is some, does something need to change here? So that way I don't feel this way. So a lot of times when we're really cleaning up our financial lives, it does require some willingness to, to shift some other things in our life too. And then once you start getting into debt, a lot of people get into more debt. I mean, we have over a trillion dollars in consumer credit card debt these days at very high interest rates. What drives people to go into more debt when they're already in, in debt? So what I find behaviorally that happens is that people, debt really bothers people and they're, they really want to get out of debt. And so what ends up happening is when people start trying to get out of debt, especially trying to get out of debt fast without ever addressing the spending habits that got them into the debt or the lack of savings habits, uh, you know, that contributed to not having the money for if there was something that they really needed. You know, there's a savings habit that needs to be in place to be able to stay out of debt. And there are spending habits that also need to just be under control, you know, where, where we're not wildly spending our money to do that. So most of the time, what I will see increases people's debt is when, you know, they don't address the underlying issues. And then they will, most of the time, it starts with a 0% balance transfer. So somebody will say, all right, well, I had you know, four credit cards and they were all maxed out. So I did a 0% balance transfer because the interest was killing me. And then if they leave those other habits unaddressed, it usually takes like a year or two. And then the, the debt will essentially double if they can move all of it. Um, and then from there, people will go to personal loans or 401k loans to try to get out of the credit card debt. So it, the thing that really increases credit card debt is shuffling it from one product to another product while leaving a lack of savings habits or uh, problematic spending patterns in place. That that increases debt uh, really, really quickly. And you think that can be overcome with proper kind of emotional attitude, not to get in debt in the first place and not to compound it? Well, it's, it's more than that. So you definitely need a strategy to get out of debt and stay out of debt. There's some mindset work around our comfort zones and what we're used to and starting to, to shift our identity around our money. There's habit work that needs to be done both around the saving uh, and around the spending. And that's generally how you're going to do it. Plus you want to have a plan that works uh, slowly enough that it's more of a lifestyle change than something where you're going to drastically restrict your spending for a period of time. Uh, that tends to be not super effective at all. You can't save your way to get out of debt. I mean, cutting your expenses so dramatically. Yeah. So when we really, really restrict ourselves, there's generally a bounce back period. You know, so if I was to cut, you know, my spending very, very drastically, I could do that for a small period of time, but generally there, it's not a long-term solution. Yeah. <laughs> can't you need more trouble? Very good. All right. We're going to take another break. Uh, my my guest this hour is Brie Sodano. Her website is called Cash Confident, and she helps women improve their financial management. Uh, you can see more at her website, cashconfident.com. We'll be back after this. 
Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Bree Sodano. She's an expert at helping women improve their personal financial management. Her website is cashconfident.com, and you can find out more about her there. Welcome back to the show, Bree. Oh, thank you. I'm glad to be here. On the hamster wheel, what do you mean by being on the hamster wheel and how do you get off of it? Uh, So oftentimes the thing that creates the hamster wheel of debt is kind of what I was just talking about right before the break, where uh, mainly where people use all of their free cash flow to pay off their debt. And when they're doing that, they're not they're not building any savings habits. Oftentimes, too, people will will stop even saving for retirement. They'll stop building any sort of wealth while they're paying off their credit card debt. And while that can be fine if you have a very small amount of debt, you know, a lot of my clients have come to see me with uh, student loans, maybe five, six figures um, or other, you know, other situations where that level of restriction wouldn't work in that kind of time frame you know, especially with student loans and things like that. So the hamster wheel of debt is when somebody's putting all of their free cash flow toward their debt payments um, and not really building a, a savings habit. And I'm talking not just an emergency fund, but they don't have any lasting savings habits. And so what ends up happening is then when, you know, they need snow tires or when something, you know, they needed a deductible for their insurance or something, you know, life just kind of comes and smacks them up a little bit. They're right back on the credit cards because they do not have the money saved. They don't have any money because they've been using all of their money toward their credit card. So it's kind of like two steps forward, two steps back. 
and it's incredibly discouraging and it will make you feel like you're doing it wrong. So that's the situation that I would describe as the hamster wheel of debt. And when it comes to getting off of it, uh, what I generally suggest is, is this a little bit of a slower approach where we really work on building the right kinds of habits. So when I'm working with clients, one of the first things that we're going to do is I want them to stop using uh, their credit cards. We're going to leave the accounts open and have them available for an emergency. And some, you know, sometimes it makes more sense to purchase something on a credit card, like your airline tickets or things like that. So it's, we're not canceling the accounts, but we want to stop habitually using the credit cards. And we want to do that for a little while. So we can really feel what our cash flow actually feels like. Because when we're using credit cards, if we overspend, there's no, there's no limit. We didn't run out of money. There's no, you know, the consequence comes so far after the action that, that our brains don't really put the two and two together, even though like logically we can, um, it, it like the, yeah, the situation and the consequence are just really, really far apart. So we want to take a little while and just get used to using the actual money that we have, right? And then from there, then we want to start building up savings habits. And so I'm generally a big fan of having three different and separate savings habits for clients. So I call them planting, preparing, and pleasure. So your planting money is, you know, all the big financial gurus. I'm sure you've heard this, Jordan. Uh, pay yourself first, right? That's pretty solid advice. Yes. And so we want to be saving some money for our investments. And that's that's money that we're going to be planting, money that we're going to, you know, that's going to fruit for us and we're going to have money in the future. Preparing is the place where people generally really fall short. And that's that's the thing that people really need to start to focus on to be able to stay out of credit card debt. And so this is always a bigger number than people think that it should be. And so when I'm talking about preparing, what I like to do is have clients list out all of their annual expenses that they're going to need over the next 12 months. And I mean, the stuff that's like their irregular, your irregular expenses, things like that you can definitely say, see coming that you definitely know are coming, but they're not like a monthly bill. So for example, I pay my car taxes twice a year. You know, um, I know that I need oil changes or car maintenance, you know, every year, but I don't know exactly when it's going to happen. And I'm not sure, am I going to need my 60,000 mile tune up at in January or in February, you know, things where we, we can see that we're definitely going to need something, but we don't know exactly when we do want to look for, you know, any foreseeable disasters, you know, like if, if I know that my roof is starting to leak, or if I know that my hot water heater has been making noise, then we want to be looking at any family obligations. That's another place where people tend to be unprepared. And so that could be things like, you know, if your brother's getting married and you have to take all of your family, you know, and buy a wedding gift and buy everybody, you know, fancy outfits and, and things like that. Um, you know, and then any non-regular self-care that we do, you know, so sometimes, uh, you know, people will take a little girl's trip or, you know, maybe if even if like things like getting your hair done, it might not be every single month you're doing it you know, but that can really add up to be quite the expense. So being prepared is, is another place where we want to start to project out like, all right, well, well when do I expect I'm going to need this money? If there's any places that you can project and some of it will be unexpected, but you want to start to total that up and start to see how much money it takes for you to actually be prepared for the life, 
you know, be prepared for your life. And that's the biggest, that's the biggest, most important thing when it comes to getting out of debt is having that kind of account really well projected and fine tuned as time goes um, and habitually saved for. Because once you start having that money as your credit card debt, you know, as you start to focus on your credit card debt and it comes down, when life comes and it surprises you with an expense, you have the resources to be able to keep your progress that you've been paying off on your credit card debt. You already have the habit built. Um, and so you just use the money that you have, you know, when you, because a lot of these things are not emergencies. Um, they're just things that become emergencies when we don't have the money. And then the last savings habit uh, is for just for pleasure, you know, vacations, upgrades, whatever's important uh, to you. So those three types of savings habits is another thing that really helps to stay out of credit card debt because you start having money and it's always needing money that causes the credit card debt. So when we stop habitually using our cards, start really building our savings habits. And then from there, you can, you know, you can choose a, a strategy, you know, that people are familiar with the snowball method or, a, or a, an avalanche method, or sometimes uh, some of the other things that I just said, it can be really problematic, like 0% balance transfers or taking out a personal loan. Sometimes those are necessary when somebody's cash flow is really tight. But by the time you're getting to that place, you know, you're, you've habitually stopped using the cards and you've habitually started to save. And then from there you can start, you know, chipping away at the credit card debt. So when I'm, when I suggest people, cause sometimes people come see me and they've had credit card uh, problems that have literally gone on for decades where it's like kind of like a yo-yo, you know, like a yo-yo diet only it's yo-yo debt. Um, so those sort of things help to really, so it seems like it's a slower road, but it's, one that you only have to go down once. You have something on your website called Find Your Bleed. Uh, what do you mean by that, and how do you find your bleed? Oh, all right. So Find Your Bleed is a short course uh, that I offer, and Finding Your Bleed is really a course that teaches somebody how, like, what to look for when you track your transactions. Because anybody who gets a bank statement is generally going to read through um, that information that's available, but really not necessarily that information isn't conducive to thinking, wow, I really have a, you know, a certain kind of habit that happens on Tuesdays that needs to be addressed. So that course will show you how to track your money and then we'll walk you through some ways on how to start using your money really, really intentionally. And some of this we covered, I think, in the first segment, but it's going to teach you how to uh, go through and reduce reduce any what we would call wasteful spending where there's where there's just no benefit where you're not getting anything out of it and then we look at increasing household efficiency stopping low joy purchases which we talked about a little bit too around those emotional spending um and then from there uh, being able to redirect that cash flow to paying off credit card debt or you know or saving for whatever floats your boat so in uh, creating relationships and potentially getting married or, or you know, having a long-term partnership, um, do a lot of people not discuss finances too much and then they find out they're very incompatible once they've gone too far down the road? And I mean, is this something you should say somebody has grown up a, what, well, what, what you would call a scarcity mindset and the other one's grown up in an abundance mindset. Is that a good thing or that should they both be in the similar mindsets to have it work? 
It definitely comes up. It definitely comes up. And it's the sort of thing that you may not necessarily know until you are pretty far down the road. So in general, people do have, I don't know, some shame around money or some embarrassment around money. And money does tend to be a taboo topic. And so there are definitely people who have gotten married with very minimal communication around their money. Um, Something like mindsets is something that really can be uh, shifted and adjusted. So if you're married to somebody who's got more scarcity, you know, more scarcity mindset and you're more abundance mindset, that's, I don't think that's, that, that could be fine. You could just, you know, work things out where people tend to get into really big arguments about money is really even not about the money. It's really about the priorities for what the money is going towards. And so money just kind of takes the blame, but it's really about, you know, I want to like, this is an example. I had a, I had clients once married couple, they were married a long time. They were coming up on retirement. The fellow wanted to take his wife and travel across the whole United States on matching motorcycles and have an adventure. She wanted to, to take the same money and pay for their daughter's weddings. And so that's not really a question of money. The money was there. The money was already ready to do either of these things. It was really a question of priorities. So before we bring up the topic of money, we probably want to get really clear on our priorities because um, that's, that's the thing that divides people. And then, you know, sometimes people get a little nitpicky where, he might think that some credit card is okay, but she really feels like credit card is the absolute, you know, credit card debt is the absolute worst. Or, you know, he wants to use the snowball method to pay it off and she wants to use the avalanche method to pay it off. And that's like a place where sometimes people are bickering and it's kind of like six or a half dozen where it's, it's a little bit of the same. So I would say if you're having disagreements with your spouse or your lover to really start with some discussions and really start with values, And then from there, then you can have the talk about the actual money, but then you have the full context for it. You also probably want to bring up if there's any like, you know, you you know, just some awareness around everybody's upbringing. So that way we can just be gentle as we see, you know, as we see that we had a different reality growing up than our spouse did. Yeah, it's going to be typical. Yes. All right, we're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Bree Sodano. Uh, her website is called cashconfident.com. Lots of information, and we were just talking about her uh, part of that website called Find Your Bleed. Again, you can see her at cashconfident.com. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal? Does paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing? Paying off your home in full in five to seven years is really possible thanks to Truth and Equity's Mortgage Equity Optimization System, a money management approach that puts your money to work for you 24-7. If you own a home with some equity, have a decent credit score and verifiable income, you owe it to yourself to learn more about Truth and Equity's program. 
There's no need to replace your mortgage or refinance in many cases. The system works for new home purchases as well as current mortgages. Your home is your largest investment. Own it outright in five to seven years. Call Truth and Equity, 888-262-5540 or visit truthandequity.com, 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Bree Sodano. Her website is called cashconfident.com. She helps women particularly improve their money management habits. Welcome back to the show, Bree. Oh, thanks for having me. So underlying everything we've been talking about is money mindset. So maybe just start describing what it is, how you kind of uncover what yours is and how you can change it to get better outcomes. Mm, I love this question. So money mindset is just the set of beliefs and understandings and judgments that we have about money. And so when humans are born, the, you know, our, conscious mind our like our judging mind the part of our mind that says this is a good idea or this is a bad idea isn't really online you know until we're like closer to 10 maybe 12 years old and so when we're picking up basically all of the instructions on how to be a human we're really just learning at a subconscious level and so the things that we learn about money is some of it's it was is described to us like sometimes our parents will say things to us about money like oh we don't have money for this or oh this costs too much money or um this is this doesn't cost hardly any money and a lot of what we learn is really just in how we felt about money what we what we saw people doing even if they said something differently um and so if like let's just say for example if money if there was plenty of money growing up in your house you're probably going to feel very different than if money was a scarce resource and was really a, a point of contention amongst your parents. Um, and so that's how, you know, our money mindset is basically handed down to us until we start to work on it consciously. So what we're going to see a lot of our parents' patterns showing up in our behaviors until we start to really consciously examine those patterns. And it's not because there's anything wrong with us. It's just because that was the, the instructions that, you know, those were the instructions that we learned when we were young. Um, so to start to uncover that for yourself, one of the things that you can do is kind of break down your relationship with money. And I would say to be considering things like uh, spending, savings, earning, debt, investments, and you can even take it so far as to really look at what you think about rich people and poor people. And from there, you can ask yourself, well, what messages did I hear? Like, did somebody talk to me consciously about what messages did I see where there was not necessarily a discussion or conscious instruction, but, you know, I saw my dad go to the bank every single week, you know, and my mom complained about, you know, this or that. Um, and how you felt, any like big emotional responses around those different areas. And so if somebody was to, you know, just grab their notebook and start to look at these things, that's going to give you so much insight into what's going on uh, with your patterning, your behaviors. It will start to make 
like why your relationship with money is the way that it is and give you some some clarity as to like is this is this even mine you know is this even my choice or is this just this thing that I've always done this way I hear you have a book coming out next year what is that going to be about uh so that is also called cash confident and uh that's a book on more practical money management strategies for the modern woman. Uh-huh. I'd like to give me an example or two of somebody you've coached and kind of what difference it made, where they came to and how they uh, ran their life financially after you were finished with them. Just to give me an example or two. Uh, perfect. All right. So I... Let me think of who... All right. So... Uh, so this is an example of it was a married couple who came to see me, uh, three small kids. They came to see me then. You know what? They have four kids. I'm sorry. They had four kids and $43,000 of credit card debt. She had taken off quite a bit of time just to be a stay at home mom. He made plenty of money. She was the beginning of a sales career, right? So she'd been out of the workforce and she also worked part-time at a very low, you know, not for a ton of money, but, but it's something that felt good for her. So at first we started to look through their transactions and we could see she had a ton of time all over the place because she was doing a lot of the stuff that was happening. She was doing a lot of last minute shopping uh, with the kids. So she was spending a lot of time like soccer cleats and all sorts of stuff. So we started to work with her around setting some it's not like hard boundaries with her kids, but it was just more on having the kids kind of learn to respect her time and start to ask for things, like starting to be basically accountable for what they're going to need with enough time. Now, her kids were were older. They were uh, high school and some of her kids were in college. So that was that was an appropriate level. You know, that was appropriate for that. Then we built out a system for her to manage her money, you know, for them to manage their money. And we figured out a plan for her to be able to save money and when she was getting commissions from her sales sales gig, like how to divvy those things up. So it took 18 months after we started working together, I, I met with her and she had $10,000 in her savings account, which was the, the first and only time, you know, not yeah, first and only time to that point. Um, her $43,000 of debt was nearly gone. And her and her husband stopped, basically stopped all of their disagreements and fighting about money just by having a system and knowing what to go. So that way, every single time there was a decision to be made, there was kind of like a system to refer to rather than deferring to each other for dis decision making, because that was really creating a lot of tension. So, you know, we looked, we changed the things that needed to be changed in her life. We freed up some of her time to be able to focus on her making more money. Um, there was a lot of mindset work and a lot of I don't know, just old, old stuff that she had with her parents. Um, but also in our work together, when I talked to her about her paying everything off, she had her first $18,000 month, you know, in sales, which was a big deal for her, which is a big deal, which is a big deal making 18 grand in a month, you know, and that's take home cash, you know, from her sales job was a really big deal. And that kind of came through being able to see, where her money mindset was was causing her to feel so bad around doing her money making activities and around, you know, getting her family to respect her time to be able to to create what she wanted to. It's really about creating a system that works. It's not just doing 
that, that's what you keep saying is it's setting up a, a system. Yeah, so a lot of times people set up budgets, and budgets are plans, and plans are, are good, and having a plan is nice. But a lot of times uh, plans need to be remade. Most of the time people have their, their budget, and that needs to be reworked either for every paycheck or at least once a month. And so I usually teach people how to build out a system to habitually, you know, where we use technology to do some of the work, you know, that we would do with our habits, you know, just to add the support that's available for it. And so building out a system really helps people to stick to their plans because most people can only do a budget for like six weeks and then they kind of fall off of it. Maybe not most people, but a lot of people. Yeah. So as we come to a close, why don't you kind of summarize the difference it would make in people's lives, particularly women's lives, to take the lessons we've learned, understand their mindset, uh, not come out of scarcity. What kind of a difference would it make in their lives to, to apply that instead of where they are today before they see you? Oh, my goodness. It's like a world of, of difference. Shifting out of a scarcity. So scarcity creates such a stress response in the body that moving yourself out of a scarcity mindset uh like you look better you feel better because you're out of that fight or flight response you know people are living in the, the fight or flight response when they have a, a tough relationship with money so that's absolutely worth doing for like your health and well-being like and your levels of happiness and then shifting your money mindset is what opens you up to be able to to have more if you want it or be satisfied where you are um and so that's another thing where you have a ton of you have a ton of control over what your mind, you know, how you've trained your mind to think about money and see money. And so especially if you want more, if you want your relationship with money to be different, mindset is a great place to focus some attention. And you're saying you have more control. A lot of people don't think they're in control of this, or they're kind of a victim of it or a victim of their circumstances, their upbringing. You're saying if you bring mindfulness to it, you can really change your outcome yeah i mean there's there's a level of awareness that needs to come into it and it's it's i control might might be the the wrong word but you definitely can influence where your mind goes and there is a fair bit of you can train your focus to do different things and you know you can look at the exact same situation in different ways and by doing that feel drastically different about it so it's definitely worth looking into because what you think about things impacts your behavior. It, 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 it just impacts mostly your emotions and your behavior, but that's the places where people are getting in trouble is in their, you know, buying stuff in emotional states or not buying stuff in emotional states. And so it's when that emotional state drives behaviors that are unhelpful, but that can be addressed through mindset work. Very good. Well, thanks so much. We've learned a lot. My guest this hour has been Brie Sodano. Her website is cashconfident.com. You can see she's helped a lot of people become confident about their cash. Uh, so thanks so much. You've been a great guest, Brie. Oh, thank you so much, Jordan. I appreciate everybody, and I appreciate being here. Thank you. Thanks again, and we'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.